I am filling in for Wes today. He'll be back next week. Uh, we appreciate this good series that he has started. And we're continuing that in the book of Acts. What about the word anticipation? Let me ask you about anticipation or expectation. When you're thinking about what's coming, when you're not sure what it's going to be, but you have some idea of what it might be, still uncertain, still not knowing. Within walking distance of my house, a new restaurant. How many, what about new restaurants? Do you see enough of those? Well, there's one coming up at our place called House of Bread, okay? It couldn't be any better name for me to be interested. I've already been in there twice, and it's not even open. I've talked to the owner <laughs> saying, you know, I've got Mondays off. I almost thought they're looking for help. You know, maybe I'll... See what I can do, but that's got my name on it, House of Bread. I don't know yet, but I have some expectations. Now, also, this is a site you see so often around Collin County, the last 10 to 15 years, a new house. Some of you have been participants in that, haven't you? Wondering, how's the house coming? How's the builder doing? Are they getting this right? Are they getting that right? Is this going to work the way I hope it is? Is this room going to fit the way I hope it does into the family plan? and so forth. Expectation and anticipation about a new house. My son is moving to London with his family in July. Wow, what a surprise for us. Uh, that means our granddaughters are moving to London. So uh, we've got some expectation or anticipation about that, wondering how that's going to work out, the schools and so forth. And if you go through this hallway out here, you know, uh, 2021 has been a good year for us, for babies. Uh, we've got several on the way. We've had several to be born. And all of you, or most of you know, the anticipation or the expectation that comes uh, with a new child. You know, how's that going to change our life? What, this, what is this child going to be like? So there are things in our lives that we, we point towards and we think about and we're, we're unsure about but we are excited about. All four of those examples are, are things that you, you look forward to to some degree, don't you? you you're, you're excited about things that come up. But at the same time, occasionally, you might hear someone say, I'm excited about my new life. Uh, how often have you heard that phrase, someone give? Or I'm excited about the new direction my life is taking. I'm excited about uh, a new discipline that I've put into my life. And I'm not just trying it out. I'm not sure where it's going, but here's, here's what I know about it so far. And that discipline may be because of a new teacher. And maybe the new teacher was a book you read, or maybe he's, this person got several books about how to do this or that, and you're trying to follow this lead that this teacher has given but you'd rarely hear someone say, you know, I've got a new life going because I have a new master. I have a new master. Elevate the word teacher to master. But what if in all that as well, this new life and this new discipline and this new teacher, you add the fact, and you know what? There's a lot of new people that are doing this too. And I'm part of this group that is following this new pattern. And I'm not sure about it yet. 
I have a lot of excitement at the moment. I have a lot of anticipation. Uh, here's what I'm expecting to happen with this new life and these new people that I'm a part of. Well, you see, that's right where we're at in Acts chapter 2, isn't it? That's right where we're at with these people who've made this great decision. And now we find out in Acts chapter 2, what did they come to do together? What was this new life about? But you remember how this expectation started, of course. It wasn't necessarily for many of them just the sermon that they heard by Peter in Acts chapter 2. The leadership had an expectation way before that, or at least, at least in the, by following Jesus Christ. And if some, as you know, uh, the Jews themselves were always expecting something as in a Messiah or maybe a new kingdom. But here's what Jesus said to the disciples in Luke chapter 24, I think a familiar passage to you. He said, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now this is Jesus after the resurrection. He's appearing now to his disciples. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. What he's saying there, everything about me in the Old Testament. That was his reference to the 39 books or whatever was available to them. And he may have been referencing Daniel 2 or Jeremiah 31 about a new kingdom, about a new covenant that's coming. And so he's opened their mind to these passages and the fact that he's going to be what fulfills them. And then in verse 45, he's, as it says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Uh, maybe there was something uh, uh, miraculous there. I'm not sure. But maybe just in the words that he said. Uh, it finally cleared up some of these doubts about what to expect about him. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. But here's where he created expectation for them to happen in the next few days, beginning in verse 47. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem, until you are clothed with power from on high. Wow. So the, there's something coming for these men. Uh, they're going to preach forgiveness, repentance, forgiveness of sins. They're going to receive power from on high. They're supposed to wait where they're at. And, of course, that's part one. Of Luke. Part two of Luke is what we call the book of Acts. He picks right back up. Actually, just a few verses later in what is Acts chapter one. And again to the disciples, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So he had mentioned the kingdom to them, what that kingdom would be. He's, they still have some misunderstanding. It's not for you to know times or seasons. But look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the power I was talking about in Luke 24 from the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria. To the end of the You're going to preach about me. You're going to tell my story in Jerusalem when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So that's what we have. And that's what Wes has done such a great job in working through Acts 2 to show us the expectation that these people, especially these apostles and disciples had 
about something that was coming. Something is going to happen. And of course, Acts 2.38 was the people's response to that sermon last week, that familiar verse to us. Peter says, repentance and forgiveness of sins is preached from Jerusalem, is preached by me in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, what happened? What happened when Peter finished that sentence or that phrase? Well, you know what? Peter wasn't finished. You go to Acts chapter 2, verse 40, and here's what it says, and with many other words. Peter's a preacher here now, remember? Uh, he's got more to say. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this corrupt, crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I wonder what else Peter said. We don't, we don't know, do we? But he, he did dwell on the lifestyle change, apparently. Save yourselves. In other words, you need to run from the present life you're in. Save yourselves from this crooked, you may have a verse that says perverse generation. But basically, do something. And we know that people did. 3,000 people said, I want in on that. I'll, I'll do that. I like, I understand what you've said. I see the application of Scripture that you've made about who this man was and the fact that you're eyewitnesses. We're seeing these amazing things that, you've, that you're doing and speaking in different languages. We want to be baptized. Now, did they know what was coming next after that? What did they expect at that point? What did they anticipate? Well, that's our passage for us today. Our reading today is what happened. Let's look at those verses again that Rusty read. Here's what they did. And they, now remember, verse 42 follows verse 41, and 3,000 were added to their number that day, and they devoted themselves. The three, this they there is just 3,000 people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And notice this, uh, the article, to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all who believed together were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and goods and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, the Lord, praising God, excuse me, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Four things in verse 42 immediately stand out. And I'm not sure if uh, that's Luke's point. You remember Luke is writing to readers, he's writing to people to tell us, here's what happened, here's what these people were like. They devoted these, themselves to these four things, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, breaking of bread is mentioned twice in the passage. You remember in uh, Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians 10, 
He talks about the Lord's Supper. And in verse 16 he says, It's not the breaking of bread that we share, a participation in the body of Christ. So breaking of bread is used in a couple of ways in the New Testament. And likely verse 42 is meaning they devoted themselves to the communion, to the Lord's Supper. May mean it that as well the second time. But the, to me, verses 43 through 47 are kind of expanding on these four points. And if you could sum those up, you might do it this way. They were together. They shared. Uh, they were giving to one another. They uh, were in the temple together. They were eating together, praising God. They were good people. They were good neighbors. All of these things to add. Well, let's expand on that for us this morning, just for a little bit. You ever go to a church website when you're going to visit, and you kind of wonder what, what, what's going on there? <laughs> uh, that's the beauty of a website. And if a church is wise, they probably have something like this. We've got something like that. Ours says about us, okay? And you click on about us, and you've got those four tabs that will drop down, and one is what we believe. Some other websites use the phrase, I'm new, you know, kind of like, hey, I want, I want to know what it's about because I don't go there. What do you people like? Uh, what we believe, uh, sometimes a tab, what to expect. Well, if you're in Jerusalem and walking around and you ask for the I'm new scroll for the Jerusalem Church of Christ... What would it say? Well, if you'll give me a little journalistic liberty this morning, here's what I think the I'm New tab says for the Jerusalem Church of Christ. We are a brand new group. We have been saved from this crooked and perverse generation of people. We came to believe what the law and the prophets spoke of us. We are all learning about this. We all decided to change and were immersed in order to have our sins forgiven. Our Savior and teacher was killed on a cross but rose from the dead. He was Jesus from Nazareth. His mother and brothers are part of our group. There are 12 men who lead our church. They have known Jesus for about three years before he died and rose up. They teach us all about him and things he said. They also do miracles. They have certainly helped convince us of their power and authority. We partake of bread and wine to remember Jesus' body and blood. We pray a lot. We take care of needs of people in our group. We are happy in our decision to follow Jesus and to follow the 12 men who are called apostles. Right now, counting the children, there are about 4,000 of us. We don't have a building or own any property. We have life groups instead. We meet outside at the temple and in our homes. We like eating together. New people join our group every day the same way we did. They believe in who Jesus is. They make him their Lord, and they are immersed in order to have their sins forgiven. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not complicated. There are things that stand out to me about that church. And let me name a few 
uh, this morning. And especially those first points in verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, would you expect that? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Well, of course, especially when you understand why. Why does it say they were devoted to the apostles' teaching? Simply remember, they didn't have one book of the New Testament. No book of the New Testament could be referred to. It hadn't been written. No one had a complete Old Testament at home. You can imagine if someone had all the scrolls of the Old Testament in their house. No one had those. They may have had some portions. That's why they went to the temple. The temple is where the scripture was read all day long. It's the only Bible they had was the Old Testament. What value then was the apostles' teaching? Well, do you remember what Jesus said to the apostles on a couple of occasions, especially back in John 14? Do you remember Jesus saying this? The passage from John 14. Is that, is that available for us? Thank you. These things I have spoken to you while I was still with you. While I... But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So when the Holy Spirit came upon them, it seems as though the Comforter, the Helper, provided them with this ability to remember everything that Jesus said and to, and to continue to hang on every word that, uh, as people would have listened and remember, these men were eyewitnesses to Jesus. And that format continued. Look at this passage in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and 33, days after Pentecost. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. What we sang about this morning, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord. In other words, they were powerful speakers because of what they knew and what they remembered. So the apostles were our Bible to the church at Jerusalem. Can you imagine being at church with the apostles? What, what experiences may you have had? You might come home one day and say, Honey, I had lunch with Thomas yesterday. He's got a nickname that started. He doesn't like that nickname. Uh, and by the way, I invited John to dinner every week, every day next week. Sorry about that. And she says, that's okay. I'm having tea with Mary a couple of days this week. These people were part of the church. Can you imagine listening to their stories, listening to what they would say about Jesus? Because if you didn't know Jesus, as thousands of these people did not, they wanted to know what their master, their teacher, taught. So the question for us is, are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? The New Testament church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. How would I know? How would someone know you're devoted to reading what John had to say, what Peter had to say? what the Apostle Paul had to say. How, what's the evidence of that? It's certainly by our 
devoting ourselves to the Word as well. But secondly, they were devoted to fellowship. Now, I like that word. Man, you know, I can do fellowship, right? Uh, in fact, if we call this room back here the Acts 2.42 room, Acts 2.42 hall, that would be just perfect because that's, in a sense, what it is. It's the fellowship hall. It didn't get that name by accident. I hope every member at McDermott Road has some kind of memory in that room, whether it be a bowl of chili or a game of 42 or coffee or a baby shower or a prayer together with someone, or a Bible study together. The Jerusalem church didn't have a fellowship hall. They didn't even have a church building, but somehow they were devoted. They were devoted to fellowship without a church building. So the verses explain to us what happened, doesn't it? They had houses. That's what they had. All who believed were together. They had all things in common. They gave to each other. Somebody's in need. They knew about it. They would even sell what they had to help. They were glad and generous. And as I've kind of pointed out loosely, their homes, to me, were the original life groups. When you're at a life group in the Word and enjoying fellowship, you're actually closer to the New Testament church than you are in this assembly this morning because they never assembled like we're doing. They assembled together in homes and they had to be small groups, did they not? If people were baptized in Jerusalem, they would say, welcome to this body of people. Here's where your group is going to meet. Here's where your, your life group, your fellowship group is going to be. Here's the home where your folks are meeting. And by the way... <laughs> Life groups are starting next month again. And this week, uh, if you're not in a group, maybe you've been loosely connected, uh, there'll be an email going out. You can reply to that. Uh, next Sunday, there's life group leaders who, who have said, man, I want some new folks in my life group. Would you post my life group in the foyer so we can add a few families to that? And I pray, McDermott Road, you'll devote yourself to fellowship through this means the same way the New Testament church did. But they also devoted themselves to prayer. Would you have expected that to be a character of these people? Well, certainly. But look at ourselves here. You know, I wish I prayed as much as I talk about prayer. Prayer is foundational to my spiritual health. Prayer is foundational to the health of this church. Any efforts of a church without prayer are human-centered. They're not centered with God, and I believe destined for failure. But sadly, I still struggle with praying continually, you might say being devoted to prayer, but something happened in Acts 2 with this group. They became involved in prayer. And look at Acts 1. Before Pentecost even came, what were they doing? And these, that was the disciples, were with one accord devoting themselves to prayer. All these were devoting themselves to prayer along with Mary 
and the brothers of Jesus. They all met together. Not only was it important, prayer was unifying to this group of people. The believers who gathered for prayer were of one heart and one mind. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, we see the apostles when they're deciding we need some deacons to oversee the uh, uh, work of the church with these widows. It says the reason is we want to devote ourselves to prayer. We want to be devoted more to prayer instead of some of these tasks that some others can do. Now that must have meant they needed some daytime hours to pray. So prayer in this new church was going to a new and powerful level. And things were happening with this progress and growth. So what about us? How intentional are you about prayer in your life? Another opportunity this week. Uh, you may have gotten an email yesterday. I hope you did. Uh, or Friday that was pointing out uh, this week of prayer and thanksgiving that we want to give prior to our open house next Sunday. You can on that email Submit your prayer request. Tomorrow, all those prayer requests are going out with our regular church prayer list. And I pray this week you'll dedicate a time to prayer leading up to Sunday. In fact, we, we even want to open our building next Saturday. We've had prayer marathons before, but from 10 to 4 next Saturday, our building's going to be open. The open house is next Sunday night, but we want to be intentional about prayer and if coming here being in the auditorium where I've sat before at 2 a.m. in the prayer marathon coming to the auditorium may help you be the prayer person God wants you to be or somewhere else even here in the building we have some things here to give prayer and thanksgiving for so God thank you for that if a posture of prayer truly takes root in our church, we can say we are like this New Testament church. And finally, verse 47, going to the last verse. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day, or some versions say daily, those who were being saved. Is that something they expected? Did they expect after those 3,000 were baptized that more people would be baptized and added to that church? Well, that depends. I have in my hand a bulletin from the first Sunday of the McDermott Road Church, April 2000. Welcome. <laughs> Here's what the preacher wrote. We're finally here. It's a tremendous joy to be able to assemble this morning as Christ Church in our new facility on McDermott Road. Those of you who are present today to give praise and honor to our God and Savior will always remember sharing in our first Lord's Day on site. Back in the, you know where, <laughs> back in the Modular building. While we acknowledge the contributions of so many to our new work, we know that all of it would have been fruitless without the blessings of God. 
Through His providence, guidance, and grace, He has provided everything that we have needed to become established in our new location. We are here to glorify Him and to share the love and salvation that are found in Jesus, His Son. Let's make this a day to remember. What? Pentecost was a day to remember, was it not? The church started, in a sense, on that site, in that city. But what happened next with the Apostles' Doctrine, with fellowship and with prayer, led to what happens finally in verse 47. People were being added to their number. They were added the same way the 3,000 were added by accepting the message and being baptized. It happened every day. That didn't happen by chance, of course. They didn't have a sign up that says, you can be baptized here if you'd like and stop by here. They didn't have TV. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have telephones. They couldn't text each other. They didn't have anything that was printed. But you know what? They didn't watch TV either. They didn't have movies to stream. They didn't have smartphones to look at three to four hours a day. You know what they were? They were people who talked to other people. They were people who listened to other people. They weren't thinking even yet about Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. They were just thinking about where they live, the people they're coming to know and love and worship with. They were talking and reaching their family, their neighbors, and their friends. If you could ever say something was organic in a church, it was this church's ability to reach others. It was in the people themselves. Evangelism and outreach actually was discipleship. They went hand in hand. So, can that work at McDermott Road? I remember being at a church one time where our goal was to baptize 100 people in a year. And we actually had in the foyer uh, a chart of the folks who'd been baptized that year. And we got up in the 90s. I don't remember actually if we got to 100, but I remember someone saying, you know, that's a great goal, but imagine, as we sometimes tell those stories, standing in line at the judgment, okay? And you, you turn to the guy behind you and say, you kind of poke out your chest and say, hey, I was at a church that baptized 100 folks in one year. And that fellow looks at you and says, brother, I'm, I'm so sorry for you that you were in such a lukewarm, dead church. I happened to be at a church that baptized 3,000 in one day. And then we kept baptizing people every day. In fact, as you read on in the book of Acts, you know, there's four and 5,000 people, uh, not counting the children. Uh, who knows how many people there may have been that started from that one movement. Well, let me ask it differently to you this morning. Why would God add people to the McDermott Church? Why would God add people to our church? What would, what would your answer be? I hope it's also a simple answer. God will add people to this body of believers when we too are all gripped with these principles. We're gripped with God's love for us and we want to lavish that love on others and on our community and freely give it to others. I believe God draws people or wants to draw people to that kind of church. But you know, a church 
has to work on that because we individually have to work on that, don't we? Every member does. Luke wrote to his readers that people were being saved. God was adding saved people to the church. So do you understand that? God was adding saved people to the church. So what's the natural conclusion to that? When you were saved, you were added to the church. So people are not saved before they're added to their number. So if you're outside the body of Christ, you're not saved. And if we don't believe that, what's our motivation? Ephesians 5 says Jesus is the Savior of the body. I think we would say we're in some difficult times, right? And I would say, well, somewhat. <laughs> it depends on your perspective. Because I know throughout history, there has been some much more difficult times than the ones that we're experiencing. Brothers and sisters, the moment we are in does not change the mission we are on. These people in Acts 2 needed and they accepted and they embraced community. And that's the way we must be also. So I would say to everyone, as soon as we are able and as soon as we are comfortable, and I'll say that again, as soon as we are able and as soon as we are comfortable, I would encourage us to get back to church as fast as we can because that's where God wants us to be. The church is what God created and the church is what He adds saved people to. And for everyone always, how were these people saved? They heard and believed the gospel, the story of Jesus, and they changed and they repented and they were baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And it's still the same today. Do you want to be part of the saved? Do you want God to add you to the church because you're saved? You can do that. You can do it today. You can do it this morning. And we are devoted to prayer at McDermott Road, certainly this week. But you know, this morning we're devoted to prayer. Can we devote uh, prayer to you this morning? We want to do that. You could ask for prayer in our assembly as we, someone did last week. Our elders will be in Wes's office, what we call our prayer room as well. We can certainly offer prayer in your behalf as well. Eric's got a song of invitation. We pray you'd respond as we stand and sing.